from the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, verse 32. So if you want to get your Bibles out and turn there, um, if you're looking at the Bible in the pew back in front of you, it's on page 919. Okay, Ephesians 4.32. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, church. Can you guys uh, hear me okay this morning? Sweet. All right. Well, good morning to all of you. Thank you. (laughs) We're awake. Awesome. Uh, As you know, uh, well, first, let me start by introducing myself. My name is Sebastian. I'm the pastoral resident here. And if we haven't met, I would just love to meet you and chat. You can find me somewhere around here after the service. uh, And I would just love to connect with you. Uh, but as you know, we have been, uh, or we just started last week, our series on gospel culture. We're going to be taking a look at the one another's. These are the commands that we find in the New Testament as to how believers should live because of their new life, their newness of life in Christ. So we see welcome one another, we see love one another, encourage one another, be kind to one another. But this morning, we're going to get to uh, dive into forgive one another. And this, I recognize, is a sensitive topic, so just bear with me and join me uh, as we uh, unpack what it means to forgive. Uh, Before uh, I start with the sermon, with the message, I want to tell you a story. November 30th, 2021, in Detroit, Michigan, Oxford High School, school shooting. I don't know if, you've, if you guys heard it. This happened in our state. A student uh, decided to take a gun into his classroom, ended up shooting the students around him, ended up killing four students, injuring seven people. One of them was a teacher. One of the victims' name was Madeline Baldwin, or Madison uh, Baldwin. Uh, the sentencing of the shooter Actually, even though the event happened back in 2021, the sentencing just happened last month. And so, uh, during the sentencing, the trial, the mother of the victim had a chance to give a speech to address the shooter and to address the judge. And in her words, this is what she said directly to the shooter. She said, you will be forgotten like trash. Nobody will be there to save you. Nobody will be there to forgive you. Nobody will love you. I feel sorry for you. She then addressed the judge and she said, Judge, I choose forgiveness. I choose to forgive. And as she goes on to explain what she means, she says, I choose to forgive myself. I choose to forgive my grief, and I choose not to forgive the offender. Now, this is a strong statement. And you can, if you ever get a chance to just watch the video, you can feel the weight of the emotions in her words. 
And rightly so, I would argue. I mean, a loved one was taken from her. This just highlights the reality of our culture. We have such a hard time understanding grace and mercy and even a harder time extending it to others. I want to bring to your attention this movement that has been happening recently, cancel culture. I'm sure that you have heard about it. It's all over social media. Now, we have gotten so many examples of that, and it is evident that in this movement, there's some positive and negative thoughts. And I think this is because the bigger issue that is hidden there is the lack of mercy and forgiveness. Because we live in a culture where even even trying to explain what forgiveness is, is difficult enough, but it's even harder to actually forgive. And I recognize maybe this morning you hear the word forgiveness, and I get it. Like, we all carry the pain and the hurt, the trauma, the betrayal, everything that you have. And so maybe just hearing this word this morning, you feel a little uneasy and maybe uh, uh, uncomfortable. But the question is, so what do we do with what we just read? What do we make of that? Or a better question for us would be, how do we uphold to the truth of God's word as we process or deal with our baggage, our emotions. Let's dive into it, but I just want to invite you to pray with me before we do that. So pray with me. Heavenly Father, what a privilege it is to come to you as our Father, the one who we can cry out to, the one who hears us, and the one who comforts us. Uh, Father, as we unpack this morning your command given to us to forgive one another, I just pray that you would give us humble hearts uh, this morning, that your spirit would, would come and, and would um, grab a hold of our hearts, um, that your truth may be rooted in us uh, so that we can walk in the ways that you have prepared for us. Father, I just pray that uh, as we open your word, that you would help us to have clarity uh, and understanding, Father, and that um, this morning, uh, through the preaching of your word, the message, you would be glorified. We love you, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. As we, this morning, get to explore the command of forgiving one another, um, I believe that our big idea will be challenging for us. And our big idea not only will bring challenge, but actually comfort. And that is that because we have been forgiven by God in Christ, we must forgive one another. Because we have been forgiven by God in Christ, we must forgive one another. And we're going to tackle this from three angles. We're going to get to look at the command of forgiveness, at the challenge of forgiveness, and at the comfort of forgiveness. And uh, my aim this morning for the message would be that, uh, that we would be a church known for our kindness, our tenderheartedness, and our forgiveness towards one another. That would be a marker of our church. So let's start by looking at the context of Ephesians. This is where our text comes this morning. Now, if you uh, have a chance to just spend some time diving into the book of Ephesians, you'll unpack beautiful truths of the newness of life that we have in Christ. 
This is what we get to see. We get to see that Paul writes this letter exclusively to a group of believers, a community of believers in the city of Ephesus. And he wants to teach them and remind them uh, what the life of those who follow Christ is all about. They're experiencing this newness of life. And so Paul is saying, this is how you live that out. Paul informs the believers of what it means to individually walk in the good works that God predestined us for, but not only individually, as a collective group, as a group of believers, Paul also emphasizes and urges them to walk in a manner that is worthy of the calling that they have received in the gospel. And you see, their context is interesting because according to biblical scholars, uh, in this time, this period of time in Ephesus, the riots of these communities, and they say, quote unquote, were seriously and regularly violated. Their riots were consistently violated. And yet, Paul writes to them and places an emphasis on one, understanding the gospel, and two, live it out. And by that, he says, forgiving one another. Your rights are violated, yet forgive one another. There is tension there. So we're going to unpack that a little bit, and uh, we're going to get to look at that command of forgiveness. So in the book of Ephesians, Paul says that before the mystery was hidden to them, but now because of Christ, this mystery has not been revealed. And, And what is this mystery? He says that in Christ, you are made alive. You are brought near, you have peace, you have been made one, no longer Jew, Gentile, but one man, one humanity in Christ, and you have been reconciled with God and also with one another, and that makes you part of God's household. Now, Paul is invested in explaining that the goodness of the gospel brings about new life, the newness of life. That although we have sinned against a holy God because of the life, obedience of Jesus, because he has fulfilled the law because of his uh, death and his resurrection, we get newness of life. We are made alive. This is a new life that we have. The old cell is gone. The new has come. You see, in Ephesians 4, 1 through uh, 3, Paul says this. He says, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. He says, this is how you live out the gospel, your new life. This is what it's all about. He, Paul shows us that uh, from eternity past, God's plan and God's will has been that we would be adopted in Christ and reconcile with him and with one another. And this is why Christ, in Christ, we have a new life that is shaped after the likeness of Jesus. And he says, therefore, that is the foundation. So therefore, now you are to forgive one another. You are to be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Now, I think it's interesting. Notice the language that Paul uses. He says, forgiving 
one another. He could have used forgive one another, but there's a forgiven. In the original Greek, the word uh, that he uses, um, it, it, it's, it's translated as pardoning wrongdoing. And not only that, but the parsable, the kind of parsable, I'm not going to get into that. But what it highlights is the view that Paul has about the action of forgiveness. And he says and highlights that this is a process. It's a process. It's not something that you say, I forgive you today, but I don't know about tomorrow. It's a process, continuation. Now, this is uh, really cool because I I believe that the reason, uh, if we go to Matthew 18, in the the parable of the unforgiven servant, we see an interaction between Peter and Jesus. And uh, this is what it says. It says, uh, Matthew 18, verse 21, Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. You got to keep in mind, let let me unpack what is happening here. When Peter goes to Jesus... In his mind, he knows that in the Old Testament, the Jewish uh, uh, teachers, they would teach that it is unnecessary to forgive a person more than three times. And they base this from the book of Amos. And so Peter, attempting to be extremely generous and, or appear to be extremely generous to Jesus, says, how many times should I forgive? Like, oh, let's not say three. Let's double that or a little more than double. So how about seven times, Jesus? And then Jesus says, well, you think you are being generous? Well, I'm telling you, not seven, but 77. Now, you see, the action, the action within the process of forgiveness is the commitment by the offended to pardon the offender from moral liability of the wrongdoing. Let me say that again. The action within the process of forgiveness is the commitment by the offended to pardon the offender from the moral liability of the wrongdoing. Why do we do that? Well, maybe this will get to help you because it helps me. We're going to compare what Paul is saying here. Your old life, in your old life, your old self, you were dead in your sin. You were following the world. You were children of wrath. You had corrupted desires. You were enemies. He says, but because of Christ, Now you have new life. You have been made alive in Christ. You follow Christ. You are a child of God. You walk in good works. You are a fellow citizen of God's household. This is the motivation for the commitment to forgive. And Paul says for them, this is all true in your life. And for us this morning, this is all true in our lives. So, therefore, again, therefore, that's the foundation so therefore, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Um, for my very first time ever, I'm going to quote C.S. Lewis, and I'm not Pastor Mike. <laughs> but C.S. Lewis uh, says something very profound, and he says this. To be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable. Why? Because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. To be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. Now, if you're like me, I'm sure that you probably have many questions uh, regarding 
forgiveness, and that's good. Maybe this is an invitation for you to join a community group where you can actually unpack that and talk about it. But um, I want to say I know that there's no doubt forgiving one another is hard, and it's difficult, and it is a challenge. This is not an easy task. It's interesting that some uh, psychoanalysts and psychiatrists, they argue and that they say that if we truly uh, focus on the practical aspect of forgiveness, then we'll understand that for some, to forgive people is good. That it's all about their happiness, their fulfillment, their healing. And so for others, it is equally good for them to not forgive because if according to them not forgiving another person the offender is good for them and brings them healing then that is what is right in other words they offered a very therapeutic uh, view of uh, forgiveness and i just think this is interesting because this just highlights that the world will give you the model of do whatever you want Seek your truth. Leave out your truth. Seek your happiness. This is all about you. You are the center of the universe. So do what's right for you. And I just love the fact that Jesus gives us a very different model. In fact, a better one. Because Jesus highlights that what is best for us is to live a life that is concerned about others. To love God with all our hearts, mind, strength, and to love others. It's interesting that some uh, psychologists would make the argument that because self-healing is the most important thing to consider, we don't always have to forgive. This is not a thing that we must do. And if I'm honest, like, it, it sounds attractive. I would say, like, sure, sign me up. I don't have to forgive. I don't have to do the work. Sweet. But I think that... Um, when we really dive into our emotions and our trauma, we'll understand that if we don't forgive, there's bitterness rooted in our hearts. There could be resentment in our hearts. And this is also one of the things why it is a command to forgive. Now, we all recognize that forgiving people is very challenging. It's not an easy task. But I think it becomes even more challenging if we're not clear with our definition of what we mean, I forgive you, or what forgiveness is. Um, in his last book uh, published, Forgive, uh, Tim Keller provides, which I believe, a very helpful list of the confusion behind forgiveness, the misunderstandings or misconceptions that we have when we think we are being forgiving. And he says this, that forgiveness is not, and he goes, excusing Excusing, we may accept the reason behind the transgression and excuse it. That's not forgiveness. Or denying, we pretend that the transgression was not an actual transgression. That's also not forgiveness. Or only reframing from active revenge. The I forgive, but don't forget. In other words, we say, I won't actively seek to harm you now, but I will treat you with coldness and rude for you to fail because you still owe me. That's not forgiveness. Or suspending judgment. When we say, I am letting go of this one, but I won't be so nice the next time. 
I'm keeping it in your account. That's also not forgiveness or weaponizing condescending mercy when we say, I forgive you. But the reason for the forgiveness is to say, look how much better of a person I am than you. I'm being the better person here. Look what I'm overlooking for you. That's also not forgiveness. Or abandoning justice. We either look for personal revenge, seeking justice, or we go to the opposite and say, well, I'm just going to let it go and not seek justice at all. Or immediate trust. Forgiveness means that immediately we resume the relationship with the wrongdoer with the previous level of trust. When we do that, that's not forgiveness either. You see, there's a lot of misconceptions about what forgiveness is. And if you're like me, you have most likely been guilty of at least one of these. If you're honest with yourself, maybe a few, if you're like me. Uh, So not understanding what forgiveness actually is uh, makes forgiving a difficult test. But also, that's not the only thing. Our sin makes it a challenge. Our sin makes forgiveness to be a challenge. Why? Because when somebody hurts us, what is our natural response? Our natural response is, we want payback. You made me feel this way. You hurt me. I want payback. You created these emotions in me. You need to experience the same emotions in you. I want payback. But, but, um, I want to highlight something here. I've heard people even say, well, that's right. It's right thinking. And I'm going to quote to you scripture to tell you that it is right thinking. Because you've heard it said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Right? But Jesus says in Matthew 5, 38, 39, you have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. You see, Tim Keller puts it this way. I'm just going to quote Tim Keller a lot. Sorry, guys. Um, Tim Keller says this. He says, there is no way to forgive somebody who has wronged you if you feel superior to them. There is no way you can forgive wrongdoing from the offender if you feel like you are superior, if you feel like you are a better person than them. And this is rooted, again, in our sin. Sin makes it challenging. We get to sit on our high horse and and we become blind to the reality of the gospel in our life. We forget that we have been forgiven. So let me share a story. When I was in seminary, I had to read a book, which is fantastic, and I recommend you read it. It's called Unpacking Forgiveness by Dr. Chris Browns. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but he gives phenomenal insight with unpacking forgiveness, right? His title of the book. Uh, But uh, I had a few disagreements because his uh, explanation for forgiveness, he says, when God forgives us in Christ, it's uh, conditional forgiveness. It's upon repentance. We must confess our sins. We must repent. We must confess our sins, turn to God in order for us to experience true forgiveness. Now, that sounds attractive. And so he says, so for us, if we're going to forgive somebody, if we're called to forgive as God in Christ has forgiven us in the same manner, then we must also forgive 
and expect the wrongdoer to acknowledge the wrongdoing and repent, right? And when I read that, I, I said, amen. Yeah, <laughs> right, repent, right? We all do that, and, and that may be attractive, but I, but I think that, uh, I don't think that's the answer. I mean, can you imagine, let's take it personal here. Can you imagine um, engaging in relationships and thinking that way? I mean, picture, right? Maybe you're dating right now. Can you imagine, like, well, I'm not going to forgive my boyfriend unless he apologizes, right? Can you, can you imagine Can you imagine that life? Or, or let's say that it goes well and you get married, right, in marriage. Can you imagine saying, well, I'm not going to forgive my husband unless he gets on his knees and apologizes to me? Or the other way around, right? Can you just imagine that? Or, or, or let's say it goes even a step further and you have kids now. Well, can you imagine with your little boy saying like, get on your knees, You need to apologize. Like, that doesn't work. When we do that, we allow resentment and bitterness be rooted in our hearts, and that's not what the Lord is calling us to. So here's the reality. The gospel highlights that we are sinners, and sinners hurt other sinners, right? But in Christ, our status of sinners change. So no longer are we sinners, so we are declared righteous, so now we're saints, But on this side of glory, surprise, saints will hurt saints still. Not uh, on purpose, but that's still true. This is why this is not a, oh, it must be nice, so you should. It's a command to forgive. This is a command to be followed without any conditions. And even for us, the challenge is that there is a warning. In Matthew 6, 14, Jesus, Jesus himself says this. He says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you don't forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This should really make us reflect and and cause us to understand the reality of our new life in Christ. Now, I don't want you to go into the, oh, well, does that mean that I need to forgive in order to earn my forgiveness or to be saved? No, we're not going there because that's simply not true. But it is a warning nonetheless. How many times are, are, are you guys familiar with the parable of the unforgiving servant? I mentioned it briefly previously, but here in Matthew 18, if you go there, you can read it in verse 23. It starts like this. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wishes or who wished to settle accounts with his servant. So we get to see that as the king begins to settle these accounts, he brings the servant before his presence. The servant, or servant pretend that we're going to talk about dollars here because it's easier. We're going to say that this servant owed the king a million dollars. He goes before the king and he says, have mercy, give me more time. And here is what happens. The king not only says, uh, I'm going to forgive you, but I'm extending mercy. There's mercy first. I'm going to be merciful. And then forgiveness, I'm going to forgive your debt. So then after that, what do we get to see? The servant says, sweet, thank you. All right, on to the next. Now this servant, the forgiven servant, goes to another one who owed him $100. And he says, give me my money back. You owe me. And not only that, he actually is described as like being choking, like he's choking uh, the other servant. And when the master finds this out, that the forgiven servant doesn't forgive, he says this to him, you wicked servant, 
I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailer until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. There's no doubt that forgiveness or forgiven is challenging. And there's even a warning for us. But with that warning, hear the comfort. There is comfort in forgiveness. There is comfort in our forgiveness. This is the reality of the gospel for you. We are a gospel-believing church, amen? Here is the reality of the gospel for us. We already have been forgiven. We are already loved. We are already cared for. We are already adopted in Christ. God is our Father. We are His children, We don't need to earn our comfort. We don't need to earn our salvation. We don't need to earn our security or our safety. That is already done for us in the person and work of Jesus. Right? Gospel. Now, the world gives us a model where if somebody hurts us, we can say this. We can say, how dare you hurt me? You should have known better. How dare you? You should have known Better, that's the model that the world gives and actually encourages us to step into. But Jesus gives us a different model, a better model, where he goes to the cross. And he doesn't say, Father, don't forgive them because they should have known better. He says, Father, forgive them for they not know what they do. Forgiveness. Now, This is why if we go to the gospel of Luke, Jesus teaches his disciples the Lord's prayer, right? What did he say? He says, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Forgiveness. Now, as I started uh, with the story, I want to close with another one, another similar story. Story. September 6, 2018, Bothan Jean was murdered by an off-duty patrol officer. Her name is Amber Geyer. I don't know if you've heard about this case before, but the story goes like this. She is returning to her apartment after a very long day at work, where she is heading to her apartment. As she approaches the door, she sees that the door is open. She hears noises, and she sees a man in the living room making noises, so she grabs her gun, she's a police officer, grabs her gun, points to the person that is in the living room, shoots, and kills the person. Only the twist is that the apartment wasn't hers. She was in the wrong apartment. Now, she was found guilty of the crime uh, on her trial, um, and uh, Botham's brother was able to address her in a speech that is remarkable. This is what he said to her in front of the judge, in front of the people. He says, I forgive you, and I know that if you go to God and ask him, he will forgive you. I love you just like everyone else, and I'm not going to say that I hope you rot and you die just like my brother did. In fact, I want what is best for you. And what is best for you, I believe, is for you to give your life 
to Christ. And he looks to the judge and pleads to the judge and says, can I give her a hug? Here he is facing the person who took his brother away and says, I forgive you. Give your life to Christ. Can I give her a hug? And they end up hugging. This is what gospel culture produces in us. This is the way that we live because of our newness of life. Now, you might be thinking, and and this is reality, right? You might be thinking, Sebastian, but you don't know the pain that I felt. Like, you don't know what it's like to be betrayed. You don't know how many times I've been lied to by a loved one or taken advantage of. You don't know what it's like to experience physical abuse. You don't know what it's like to carry my pain and, and my hurt. And friend, I want to tell you, you are absolutely right. I have no idea what it's like to carry the hurt that you're carrying. But I know someone who does. I know someone who does. I know that Jesus know, knows what it's like to carry that burden. I know what Jesus knows what it's like to feel betrayed by the closest friend. I know that he knows what it's like to be physically assaulted. I know what it, that he knows what it's like to be rejected by his own people. And not only does he know, friends, like he sympathizes with you and I. It doesn't stop with just Jesus knowing, cool. He sympathizes and he's near and he meets us in our weakness. In the moments where we say, I come to the end of myself, I can't carry this burden anymore. Fix your eyes on the one who knows what it feels like. Now, here's the comforting news. The sovereign God of the universe, the absolute being, takes on the fullness of humanity and comes and lives a life of perfection and comes and suffers, takes our sins nails them to the cross, dies on our behalf, and in his resurrection says, come to me, here is new life. I've secured this for you. This is for you. Only the cosmic power of the gospel in our lives can give us the strength to walk in the, in the way that Paul is telling us to in a manner worthy of the gospel. Only the power of the gospel does that. And Jesus knows, friend, Jesus knows that this is exhausting and this is challenging. This is not easy. And precisely because of that, he says, don't lose heart, but instead, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lonely in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I want to close with the words of Dr. Chris Browns, the author of Unpacking Forgiveness, and he says this, are you hunted by your relationship with your father or mother? Do you feel constant guilt about a broken marriage? Are you filled with bitterness over the abuse you endured or hopelessly disillusioned by your own failures? If so, Jesus invites you to come to him. He will give you rest, real rest. So now consider this morning, because you've been forgiven, forgiven people forgive much because they know what they've been forgiven from. The question is, who do you need to forgive? Maybe this is an invitation that the Lord has given to you, and maybe the name of the person that you need to forgive, it's on your head right now. That's how the Spirit works. Consider 
who do you need to forgive personally? But also, as a church, how do we help one another to grow in a culture in which we actively encourage one another to forgive, to be forgiven people? We can't do it alone. So, again, because this is the main idea, because we have been forgiven by God in Christ, we also forgive. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for the forgiveness that you have given to us because of your son, Jesus. We thank you for who you are. And and Father, we acknowledge that we can't do uh, things. We can't do anything apart uh, from you. We need you. And so we ask that your Holy Spirit would actively continue to work in our lives as we walk in a manner worthy of the gospel, worthy of what Christ has accomplished for us. Father, um, we need you. We need you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.